There are an awful lot of things about Christmas I like. I have to admit, I'm enamored by bright lights. You know, I like the bright lights. I like most of the music to a degree. But over the past few years, I've been increasingly kind of like infatuated and enamored. I've enjoyed thinking and meditating about Mary from the Nativity. And it might be because a few years ago when the Nativity story came out, that story, it, it really is more about her being the wife of Joseph than it is about her being the mother of Jesus. Because you don't ever really meet Jesus very much in her story. But I've really loved the way that that young woman has portrayed Mary, and I've enjoyed it um, every year. And so every year, I try and watch that and Elf. <clears throat> there, you, there you go. That is the, uh, that is, uh, the nature of uh, the spiritual giant you have as a pastor, all right? <clears throat> Now, and I've really enjoyed the, the young lady's portrayal of the mother of Jesus. And today we'd like to pay attention to her story. And so meet me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, please. If in the Gospels, Mary shows up here in Luke chapter 1, and then she shows up, you know, just a very few places. She shows up at the wedding in Cana and John. She shows up again at the cross, and then she shows up again in early part of Acts. While some would make her a major character in the story of Jesus, she's really not. The Scripture keeps Jesus as the major character and her as a peripheral character off on the side of the stage somewhat. Here in Luke 1, let's begin in verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, that sixth month there is referring to the previous passage there, where it's talking about that um, a relative of Mary's named Elizabeth is pregnant. And she's pregnant with a, a young son, and it's been told that this young son is going to announce the Messiah. And the text, you're going to see in a minute, the text is a relative. I mean, in my mind, I've always thought it was a cousin, but she is older because she is too old even, they believe she's even too old to conceive, you know. So, um, but we, all we know is that she's a relative of Mary. And so in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the Lord has sent, note that, isn't that interesting? The Lord sent this angel to Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And in coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We don't know a lot about Mary, really. 
She was a young teenager because she was betrothed, so she was probably 14, maybe 15, perhaps 16. But at this day and time, a betrothed young woman was probably in her early teens, 14 years old or so. We know that the village she was from is Nazareth, where she lived. It was not an important place. It was located in the hills. You can see there on the map there, Nazareth is where the, is where the little red line begins there, up there in the, in the Sea of Galilee region, right there. And that particular map shows the, the route that they would have taken to get to Bethlehem. And interestingly enough, um, if you've been to Israel with, with us, or if you ever will go, that same route is the exact same route that we take running from Bethlehem all the way down to that area of Jericho and to Jerusalem as well. So while it is an ancient route, it is still a route that is heavily used even to this day. And so you see it's up there in, in Nazareth. Nazareth overlooks the valley of Armageddon, Megiddo there. And again, if you go with us, we will, that very first day, we will go to Haffa, or there it's also Mount Carmel. And we'll look on the valley of Megiddo there, and then we'll travel across the valley where we'll go up to Nazareth, and we'll look on the valley from that same spot. It is really a no-name place. It would be the equivalent of my birthplace, Muleshoe, Texas. There you go. And it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Muleshoe isn't. I mean, neither is Nazareth. (laughs) Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. We don't know anything about our family, really. And, and reading for this, this one person was really did a great job, and they said all this stuff about Mary and her family. And I finally got, and I thought, this is really good material. And then I looked, and I thought, wait a minute. None of that's true. I thought, we don't know anything about our family. We, we don't know anything about anything, you know. But this person almost convinced me of all kinds of things. But so all we know is that she was a young woman. We can assume a few things with some degree of certainty. We don't know how many siblings she had. We don't know the type of work her father did. We assume she had a father. The only thing we really know about her is that her family were descendants of Israel's greatest king, David. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph, a carpenter. We know that. Probably married to him within the year because being betrothed at that time meant that you had about a year or so of living in your parents' home as you prepared for marriage and as your betrothed husband prepared for marriage, and he would come, usually at night, and he would come unannounced and would say, I'm here to take you away. That had not happened yet. So this, and so thus why she says, I'm still a virgin. They had not consummated the relationship yet. This moment, she is still in her parents' home, and any siblings she might have had were probably there. And so she appears to us as a very average young Jewish girl. That's what we can kind of know. She was probably taught the law of the Torah, like most women of her day and time. She had little expectation that her life would be different than her mother's life or different than any other woman's life in her village at that time. But she was born at a very unique time in history. The Roman Empire dominated Israel as it did most of the known world at the time. For hundreds of years, God had been silent leading up to this one event No new scripture, no prophets had prophesied. And so here she sits in a tiny little nation, a people of the book of the Torah, sitting and waiting on a Messiah that they had heard about from ancient days but had not heard from. Waiting for him to make them free from the Romans and to establish their nation as a great nation again, one like King David. 
But this average young girl's life was interrupted one day by the announcement of an angel. Let me ask you a question. You feel like your life has ever been interrupted? Interruption can look a lot, a lot of things. Loss of a job. Loss of health. Loss of parents. Loss of a child, a spouse. A rebellious child. Look around this room and you will see lives that have been full of interruptions. Cancer. Relocations by your company. Death of a spouse drug or alcohol abuse, mental illness, ailing parents. All those things are in this room and even more. We could, the list could go on and on and on. One pastor has said that we call what we call interruptions, God sees them as invitations. These interruptions are really actually something God is calling us to that is higher than what we currently have. It's far different than what we currently have usually. And it's usually or nearly always far better than what we have. Mary is not the first one in her life to be interrupted by God, nor will she be the last. Matter of fact, her son became an expert interrupter. If you can think about walking through the countryside and looking at a man and a brother at a boat, mending their nets, and he says, come follow me and They drop their nets and they come. So he walked through the countryside as he's gathering his 12 disciples and they were dropping nets and walking away from tax booths to follow him. Later on, Saul one day is just on his merry way to do some more persecuting of Christians, just another day at work for him, when all of a sudden a blinding light and a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And there he is again, stopping Saul in his tracks and interrupting his life. And quite honestly, Mary's son has been doing that for the last 2,000 years. Many of us could tell our stories of how God has interrupted our lives. We can point to things where we say that's not what we had planned, but God's purposes for our life are far better than our plans. In verse 31 and 32, let's look at that. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High of the living, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. When that happened, I bet she was kind of hoping that she was out on TV. Have you seen this show on TV? Like, what would you do? Where they stage cameras someplace? For those of you dog lovers and stuff like that, they staged cameras one time on a car and they put the dog inside and they, and, and they watched people respond to this dog left in the car. Are they going to stop and help them out or are they just going to say, my business? They've staged all kinds of things in public places where they stage these little things and they just wait, watch and see how people respond. I bet you Mary was like going, I hope I'm on TV right now. <laughs> where are the cameras, Right? Because this is really just trying to figure out how I'm going to respond because virgins don't have babies and I'm just a nobody from Nazareth and you're telling me that I'm going to have a baby and it will be the king of kings in the line of David. Okay, where are the cameras? 
but there were none. In that moment, when God calls you and I to give up our nets, to give up our job, to move from our home and all that we've ever known, when he calls you to give up your money you saved or the money you need to pay the rent, when you get the pink slip and it tells you to visit HR, when you never saw that car coming before it hits you, when you wake up to that note that says, I'm gone, when you hear the words, you're pregnant, or perhaps the words, you're infertile, or perhaps the words, you're going to lose the baby. And we could go on all day with all of those things that are interruptions. In nearly every situation we can think of, the initial response is just like Mary's in verse 34. How can this be? How is this possible? I was talking to someone this week, and they were talking about a situation, and they says, this doesn't happen to people you know. This happens on the news or in books or someplace else. It just doesn't happen to me. And so here we are. How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to tell my kids or my wife or my husband, my parents? What are people going to say? First of all, just think about this. The woman who was caught in adultery, what were they about to do to her? They were going to stone her. And so here she is thinking, wait a minute, God. Stop for a minute, God. Let me, do you understand what me and you are talking about right here? I am, I am betrothed to another man. And you're going to what? I don't even know how that works. How does a virgin have a baby? I'm going to march back into our little village where everybody knows everybody. Just ripe as all get out. What do you think is going to happen to me, Lord? How am I supposed to tell my parents? They're going to want to know who. And I'm going to say, God did this to me? Perhaps our interruptions have not been as dramatic as that, but they've been no less dramatic to us. When we said, what will people say? How will I explain this? So how are we to deal with our interruptions? How are we to see them and understand them? I I think that in our text here, Mary gives us a great, great example to learn from. So let's look at her story to better understand our own interruptions and to better understand how to even navigate our interruptions. So look with me. um, The very first thing we can look at is in verse 29 and verse 30. First thing that happens is Gabriel says, Hail, favored one, verse 29 and 30. God's favor is on each of us, especially when he is interrupting our life. He never interrupts without reason. He is a God of intention. Nothing has ever snuck up on him. Nothing has ever surprised him. He is Lord and sovereign of all things. He has purpose in everything he does. And when he interrupts our lives, he does so with pleasure because he knows that his plans and his purposes are far better than anything we had planned. And his favor is upon us. If your life is in the midst of an interruption right now, know that his favor is upon you. Know that your plan for two kids, picket fence, eight to five job, vacation home, whatever it may be, whatever your plan is, 
is paltry compared to his plan. And when he interrupts your life, his favor is upon you. The very next thing the angel says is, the Lord is with you. In those moments of interruption, God is with us. That is so incredibly important to remember because typically we feel extremely forgotten. We feel extremely abandoned. But the actual truth is he is right there alongside of us as that interruption is happening. The Lord is with you. He is not apart. He has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. Things are not happening to you because he's been busy with someone else's life. Things are happening to you because he is in that moment with you. Directing every detail of that circumstance in your life. Managing it. He is with you. The very next thing he says in verse 30 is, do not be afraid. Perhaps your Bible might say, fear not. In most cases, when our life is interrupted, our natural human tendency is to be afraid. You know, you think about it, we, we get afraid quick, don't we? Think of it, I mean, like, if I lose my keys, I get afraid. It's just my keys. I got another set of everything back at home. It's just keys. Whatever the case may be, we get afraid so easily. Perhaps it's that in that moment we feel our human limitations the most. Our mortality is more real. Our sense of control is totally gone. Because if it was left to us, we would not have interruptions, would we? Our plan would be our plan. I get up and, wait a minute, I've never planned. I'm sorry, I take that back. But those of you who plan, you wake up in the morning and you say, this is what's happening today. I have my list. This is what's going to happen in this day. It's going to happen in this order. And it's only going to take this amount of time. That's what we would do with our lives. We would be totally in control of it. Other people wouldn't be able to come into our lives and interrupt it. That's the way we would have it. And yet, we serve a sovereign God who in great compassion and in great foreknowledge and great omnipotence and in, in, in His sovereignty, He knows that these interruptions are for our good. He knows that these interruptions are things that He can walk us through. And we sit there and feel like we are powerless, like we ever had control to begin with. Perhaps when we have been interrupted, that might be the most sane moment of our day or of our life when we realize we never had control to start with. Do not be afraid because we usually are. And so here he is. He's speaking to the very heart of us, of the matter. And that's he knows that we are fearful people. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. You have my favor. The next thing he says is, down in verse 35, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. If you are in this room and you claim Christ, I mean, first of all, if you're complaining about God interrupting your life, you probably already know him as your personal Savior. If you know him as your personal Savior, he has embedded his Holy Spirit inside of you. He says, don't be afraid. My favor is upon you. I'm going to be with you. Not only am I going to be with you, here I've given you my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit is here. He resides in you. 
And he is going to comfort you. He will instruct you. He's going to lead you. He will open your eyes to truth. He will bring people into your life to comfort you and to help you through this. There we are again. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then finally, the last thing that the, the angel says that we can learn from here is in verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. You know what? Let's just say it. How many of us have that on our walls and every day we think, there's no answer to this. This is terrible. This is going to work out terrible. We all put it on our walls. We've all memorized this passage or a passage like that, that with God, all things are possible. And we live our lives like he doesn't know what's happening in our life at all. We live our lives in such a way that we really do reveal our values and what we really believe about him. And we really do reveal that like, hey, you have limitations too, just like I do. That's how we live our lives. Thinking that he cannot heal our bodies, thinking that he cannot bring good out of really bad things, thinking that, well, this is done. God can't fix this. And here the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) Some of our interruptions, they prompt us to say that great line from Princess Bride, inconceivable. There's no way. There's no way you can fix this. It's just impossible. I don't know how this would ever work out. And all the fears start working. We'll starve. We'll lose the house. We'll have to move in with our mother. And God says, just stop. Stop. You have my favor. I will be with you. With me, nothing is impossible. And that's why Paul writes in his epistles so many different things. But again, my favorite verse, First uh, Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And then Philippians 4, The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. He tells us, he understands that we worry. He understands that we get afraid. He understands the restlessness of our hearts. In his wisdom, in his understanding about us, he makes promises to us. And he says, if you will pray about these things, I guarantee that you'll have peace in the midst of your interruption that cannot be disrupted. All things are possible with me. He says, cast all your anxiety upon me because I love you. He understands all those things about us. And so he says, I'll take care of you. And then finally, the last thing we should learn in here about this passage about dealing with God's interruptions is that Mary does all that God is asking of her because she says, be it done to me according to your word. It's really not an interruption at all. It's really not an interruption at all. It is an invitation. It's an invitation to a bigger and greater and more grander plan than you could have ever imagined for your life. It's an invitation to intimacy with God as you come to him day in and day out saying, I'm afraid again. I'm sorry, I'm afraid again. I'm bringing my anxiety back to you again. I I need that peace again. Tell me again that you're with me. Reassure me again that this is what you're doing here. And see, the thing is, is, is that we don't have a sense of what he's doing. He doesn't give that to us. And as people, again, that's what we would ask for. We'd say, okay, then 
that's kind of cool. I thank God if you're going to make me the mother of the Messiah. So can you just tell me how this is going to work out? What about my other kids? Um, uh, do, are we going to ha- get? A, are we going to get a palace? And so in our in our way we deal with things, we have all these questions. And again, here we go back to wanting to know everything before it happens. And all she says, and all that the angel says, is a very vague statement. He will be great. You're going to name him Jesus. He will be the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over his house forever, and the kingdom will have no end. I mean, come on. What are you going to do with that? Mom, Dad, I'm going to give birth to someone or something that's going to be on the throne forever and ever. What are you going to do with that? In whatever way he's interrupted your life, he's, he's not giving you a whole lot more information than that to deal with either. You don't know how it's going to end, but he says, I'll be with you. You don't know what it's going to look like, but he says, you have my favor. It's not an interruption. It's an invitation to something more, gla- more glorious than we've ever, ever dreamed it could possibly be. It's an opportunity for you and I to get, come to an understanding of how powerful God is, of how loving He is, of how sovereign He is, of how compassionate He can be in your life. But for you and I to experience Him that way, but for you and I to step into an invitation, His invitation to us is just like a wedding invitation. It's just like a party invitation. It's just like an invitation of anything else. We must respond and say, I will. And then once you responded and say, I will, you have to show up. It's not enough to say, I will, because let me just tell you, you know, the parables are about sometimes those people who says, I will, and then they don't show up. Or they show up for a while and they peter out. But his invitation is one that we have to say, I will accept your invitation, and not only will I accept the invitation, I will show up for the event. And I will fully engage in this with you. Because if you don't, then you've missed out on the blessing. If you don't, you've missed out on knowing him. If you guard your heart, if you guard your your possessions, if you guard your children from him, you will never know the fullness that he has for you. I can vividly remember one time when Grant was really little in a crib, and I remember walking into his room, and, and I, kinda, I guess I'd been thinking about this, and I remember thinking like, Lord, I, I give him to you. You can have him. And again, isn't that silly? Like I was going to protect him from God? Like God didn't already have him? This, that issue was not at all about Grant or what God was going to do with his life. That issue was about my heart and about what I thought God could do or couldn't do. Protect him. Take care of him better than I could. God is inviting us, and so if we don't step into those invitations with obedience... Just like Mary did, she says, whatever you have for me, may it be done to me. 
That is the right answer when you've been invited into something with God. That's the only answer. Later on in the parables, when this little boy we're talking about grows up and he's talking to a rich young ruler and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, go and sell everything you have. That young man had just been issued an invitation from God to interrupt his life. And he says, I'm sorry, that's not an invitation I want to accept. Others said, may I go and bury my parents? He said, "Nah." This is my invitation to you, he says. And you have to take it for what it is. He's not going to negotiate with you. He's not going to make it seem a little bit easier for you. He just says, this is what I have for you. I'm not going to tell you how long you're going to be unemployed. I'm not going to guarantee you a better job at the end. I'm not going to guarantee you a correct diagnosis. I'm not going to guarantee you full health ever again. I'm not going to guarantee you, you fill in the blank. It's whatever it is you're looking for. But what he does say is this. You'll know me more intimately, more deeply, more profoundly, and more certainly than you've ever known me before. So in this life, if you're interested in protecting what you have, this invitation means nothing to you. But in this life, if you're interested in knowing the creator of the universe better than you've ever dreamed of knowing him, this invitation is exactly what you're looking for. So this morning, how is God interrupting your life? How is he interrupting your life? What is he inviting you to? Only you know that. Only you can answer that. Only you can respond to him in that. No one else can do it for you. Only you can respond to him. Whatever he is inviting you here today, look at Mary. Then look at her son. And know that Jesus will never harm you. Instead, his desire is to bless you and to make himself known in your life. Don't push him away. Don't avoid him or resist his call on your life, whatever it is today. He is calling you to something far better than you could ever plan for yourself. So what is he calling you to today? What is that invitation he's making to you? Let's pray.